is the summer called um, Familiar Songs, Psalms for Forgetful People. And this is one of those psalms we are very familiar with. We just sang it this morning. A mighty fortress is our God. It was, in fact, one of Luther's, if not his all-time favorite psalm. Uh, but Luther penned those words based on Psalm 46. So if you would, give attention to the reading of God's holy word from Psalm 46. To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and he shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still. And know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's pray together. Our Father, our fortress, our rock, and our Redeemer. We come to your word this morning trusting, believing, knowing that you will speak to us. For your word is living, it is sharp, it is active, and it divides bone and marrow. It it parses out those pieces of our lives that we want to hide, we want to shelter, we want to keep for ourselves. But Lord, you say, no, it is mine All that we have, we give to you freely, Lord, now. So use this time, use your word to root out the sin in our lives where we trust ourselves. Help us, O Lord, to trust in you. Where we have grown deep in our sin, O Lord, root us up and plant us securely on our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, the image this morning doesn't really require much imagination on my part. The psalmist uh, really gives us several beautiful images. So I thought I'd simply start with the image that he begins with. This image of a storm. This image of the earth shaking underneath of our feet. Well, have you ever been in a storm? You felt completely helpless. Uh, For me, I've been in several earthquakes. And if you've ever been in an earthquake before, you know that there's really nothing you can do. It might be a 
2.0, it might be a 6.0, and you just endure it. You can shelter, you can leave the house, but there's nothing you're going to do to stop that earthquake. I was thinking also while we were in general assembly, I overheard a man talking about his church in Texas that they went through Hurricane Ike and their whole church was demolished. He said there was a toilet left. That was it. <laughs> and they had to move the whole church further, further uh, inland so that it wouldn't be destroyed again, Lord willing. But you imagine when everybody comes back from a hurricane or a, a major event like that where whole Whole communities are destroyed. Maybe some don't return. Maybe life as you remember it is not the same. You have to start again. That church had to rebuild. Maybe they lost members. Maybe they themselves had to rebuild their own homes. But the text before us reminds us that even then, when the storms of life come, whether physical and especially when the storms of life come that are spiritual, God remains a present and he remains a soul-stilling refuge for us, his people. And so we'll look at the text under three headings. The psalm fairly easily divides into three headings. I don't have to do much work here, which is wonderful. When the text just naturally falls for you. Here it is, verses 1 through 3. God is your present refuge. And then verses 4 through 7, God is in your midst. And then verses 8 through 11, God is calling you to be still and to know that he is God. So he is your present refuge, he's in your midst, and he is calling you, dear child of God, to be still. So first, God is your present refuge. Refuge. You'll notice that that term refuge, actually, there are three terms that come together there in verse 1. Read with me. God is a refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. He is a refuge. He is strength. He is a present help in trouble. But I think that term refuge kind of sums up what we mean here, that he is our protection. He is our source of safety. He protects us from our enemies, foreign and domestic, if you will, from outside and within our own hearts. Romans 8, verse 31 says this, If God is for us, then who can stand against us? If God is for us, then who can stand against us? Your enemy, the devil, has no chance. Sin in your life, as much as we think that sin will hold on forever, that sin will remain a constant part of our lives, this side of heaven, and it will, but sin does not have a hold of us because God is our refuge, our protection from the darts of the wicked one. Does that mean that we never experience sin? We never experience pain? Of course not. The psalmist will deal with that. The realities of these swelling waters, of the mountains that are moved and trembling. But God is your refuge. When that happens, you are reminded this morning by the psalmist that God is your safety. He is the place that you run to. You think about at the time of Israel, what would they hear when they hear the word refuge? I think it's safe to say they would hear the cities 
of refuge. These were places in the Old Testament where the Israelites would go if they had accidentally committed murder. They had not done it on purpose, but someone was looking to, uh, to exact revenge. And they had to run to this city as fast as they could. And once they got through the walls, through the doors of that city, they remained there until the death of the high priest. They had protection. They could not be destroyed. They could not be uh, killed. And so God is that source of refuge. When you are falsely accused, when you are dealing with the, the bouts uh, of Satan, when you feel the realities of your own sins setting in, God is your refuge. You run. You don't walk. You run to Him because He is that refuge. But second, He is your strength. Not only do we have a place that we run to, namely God, but God enables us to fight the fight against sin, the flesh, and the devil. God is not only a place that we find protection, but He is also the place that we find our ability, our power, our strength to fight that fight against sin. Romans 8, verse 37, further on in that chapter. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. So God is for us. Who can be against us? But now, therefore, we are conquering. And it's not us. We'll sing in a minute after we after we come to the Word of God, we'll sing, yet not I, but through Christ in me. It is not of me, it is of Christ. But it is us who fight that fight and God who enables that, both through the work of the Spirit, through the salvation we have in Christ, and we work as He works. It is a both and. So God is our protection. God is our strength, our ability, our power. God is also our very present help in trouble. What is help? It's someone who comes to your aid. Someone who is there to assist you, to pick you up when you fall. Because as you fight, you will fall. You will be wounded at times. Some that you love may even be the ones inflicting those wounds. But He, your Father, if you are a believer today in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can call on your Father who is a very present help he's not only assisting you but he is there with you present not only as a captain i think of the movie the patriot right you have the kind of the english general in the back watching the battle unfold and then you have mel gibson's character in the movie taking the flag running in the front lines with his soldiers that is your king That is your God. He is running before you that you may fight the fight against sin. He goes with you into battle. He is near to you when you are struggling. He is not far off. He is near. Deuteronomy 4, verse 7. As Moses preached to the Israelites there before the land of Canaan, he is reminding them, you've been through all of the realities that you've You've already seen coming out of Egypt, coming through the Red Sea, coming through the wilderness, and you've come to this place, and Moses himself is confronted with his own mortality. I am about to die. What does he say? Deuteronomy 4, verse 7. For what great nation is there that has a God so near 
as the Lord our God is to us. Whenever we call upon him, Moses said. Whenever we call, he answers. When we were there at the Red Sea and, we said, and they asked Moses, why did you bring us out here to die? Behold the hand of God. When all else seems lost, he is your help. He comes as a very present help. So he is providing protection. He is providing power. He is providing assistance and aid. He is there with you to fight. Therefore, we will not fear. Therefore, we will not be afraid. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, even the mountains are afraid. We will not fear. Not because we have it within us to muster up this courage. Not because we are anything to to speak of, but because the God we worship. The God who enables us. He is mighty. He, when we are weak, He is made strong. When we are found to be jars of clay, He is found to be the one molding us and shaping us more into the image of Christ, His Son. Therefore, we will not fear. When your life is upside down, when everything seems uncertain, when there seems like nothing under you is stable, all is in motion, as the philosopher said. God is not. He is stable. He is your refuge. He is your strength. He is your help. And maybe your life right now feels that way. Maybe your life feels like nothing is the same. Maybe you're looking at college as a young person, and you see, wow, this is going to be very different. My life is going to be so, it's nothing that I've experienced before. Maybe as an adult, you're experiencing uh, all your kids are leaving. What is this going to be like? Maybe as a senior, you're, you're confronted with your own mortality, confronted with your body's own weakness. What is this going to be like? Even when the mountains tremble, we do not fear. Because our God is a God who provides these refuge strengths and helps for us. If you read the book, uh, The Dawn Treader, or you saw the movie, I'll allow it, uh, there's a place that they come to called the Dark Island. And Tolkien, from what I was reading, Tolkien apparently really dealt with confronting his own dreams, even as an adult. He was still paralyzed by his nightmares when he was a child. And even in adulthood, he said, I, I constantly was revisiting those. If you read his autobiography, Surprised by Joy, he writes about this. And so in that book, The Dawn Treader, they come to this island where dreams come true. And they're all excited. Our dreams will come true. And then as they near this dark island that's just sort of a dark cloud of thunder and lightning, they realize all the dreams that they have actually had that will also come true. And they enter this dark cloud and all these things come to life around them and they're stricken with terror. They're paralyzed. They can't move. They're crying out, screaming in pain. And in that moment, Lucy... She's the only one who remembers. She's stricken with her own nightmares. 
she's dealing with this fear for herself. But she cries out in the darkness. She says, Aslan, Aslan, if ever you loved us, send us help now. And the beam of light comes and the bird leads the boat out of this dark island and Tolkien says the island disappears and it's gone. But so often we can feel that way, paralyzed in darkness, paralyzed by the fears of not only what's the, re- the realities of our own hearts and our sin, the realities of the world around us, the realities of our own families, the realities of our, of our weaknesses. But God is our present help. Not only is he there in your, uh, not only is he there as your help, but he is there in your midst. Verse 4, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Do you notice the progression here? We've moved from do not fear to all out gladness. Sometimes in those moments of darkness, all we can do is hold on and just not be afraid because I am fighting this fear with all of my being and I can't do anything else. But then what does God say? There is a river. There is life. There is hope. There is gladness in the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. What's a habitation? It's a holy dwelling. It is the holy place. You think of the temple. You move from the outer court to the holy habitation, the holy place, and even into the holiest of holy places where the Lord Almighty dwells. And he says, that is the city of the Lord God, the holy habitation of the Most High. Where does he dwell? Well, we know, of course, geographically he dwells in Jerusalem. There's the temple there. There's God's presence there. Israel was constantly directed. Judah was constantly directed. Don't worship idols out there. Don't go to Dan. Don't go to Beersheba. Don't go where Jeroboam set up those images. No, come to Jerusalem. Come worship at the holy hill of the Lord because this is where worship happens, not in those places of idolatry, but here in the Lord's house. But we also have, I think, an application Beyond that, saying that people of God, you are the city. How do I know? Verse 5, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Though the nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice. The earth melts. And Here it is. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The temple stood as a reminder to Israel, to Judah, to all of the people in in the land of promise. Your God is with you. He is in your midst. And all you need do is pray to Him and ask Him for help and He will come. That river symbolizes this, this imagery of a river as this picture of that, not just of the temple itself, but even of the river that flows through the city. Uh, Jerusalem, I don't want to get off on large tangents, but some commentators, they're debating what's the river of Jerusalem. Simply simply put, I think it's the Gihon Spring. There's one water source that goes to Jerusalem. That was the hope for the city. If that water was stopped, the city had no water. So it is with God. If God stops up the river of life for us, if we don't trust in him to provide then we have no hope. 
apart from him. And so he is our sense of permanence, our sense of stability, of all that we have that is good. It is in him. You might, if you have family that lives near a river, this imagery might, I think, strike you like it does me. My grandfather lived on a river in Maryland called the Magothy. And the Magothy River, it's pretty big. It's not the cleanest river ever, but it is always there. And when we would go to my granddad's house, I remember in my mind thinking, we're not just going to granddad's house. We're going for crabs. We're going to go boating. We're going to go tubing. I get to take the sailboat out. We're going to do all this stuff that's connected to because that river is always there. And so God is using this imagery, there is a river, to remind you that there is a permanent reality to his blessings. Just as for me, my grandfather's house conjured up these images of enjoyment and fun and time with family, God is saying, I am that enjoyment for you. I am that source of life, that source of permanence, of stability, because I am in your midst. Psalm 36, if you're still not convinced, here's three passages I think that will hopefully demonstrate this. You could go all the way back to Eden. We're not going to do a biblical theology. You could. But simply put this way, Psalm 36, verse 8 and 9. They feast on the abundance of your house, O Lord. You give them drink from the river of your delights, for with you is the fountain of life. Isaiah 33, verse 20 through 21. Your eyes will see Jerusalem, again, the city of the Lord. An untroubled, an unmoved, you could say, habitation. An immovable tent whose stakes will never be plucked up, nor will any of its cords be broken. But there, the Lord in majesty will be for us a place of broad rivers and streams. And then a hop, skip, and a jump all the way to Revelation 22. You may be thinking of it already. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. That river of life, when we one day will see it, it is flowing from the very throne of God. His blessings are flowing to His people from His throne, from His presence. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. It stands as a testament to the realities that God is there. And dear people of God, that means that you are even the very dwelling place of God now. You are his treasured Jerusalem. His streams run through you to pour out blessing even from you to the nations. He makes you a holy place, a holy habitation. God is in your midst today. And where is that best embodied in the person and work of Jesus Christ, now applied by the Spirit in us and through us. John 4, verse 14, Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, Jesus said, will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life, a river flowing. Therefore, you will not be moved because God is in you. Because God is at work welling up this water, bubbling up through the work of Jesus Christ, applied by His Spirit, therefore you will not be moved. 
And you notice then also all around us what's happening. Verse 6, the nations are raging, the kingdoms are tottering because God is uttering his voice and the earth is melting. Jerusalem, the people of God, are set because God is in the midst of her. She is protected. She will not be moved. But everyone around her is raging. Everyone around her is tottering. The earth is melting at the voice of God because if we don't believe in Christ, we are destroyed by the holiness of one who is beyond our comprehension. But verse 7, if we believe in Christ if he is our hope and our stay and our solid rock on which we stand, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. God need only speak and the earth melts before him. That same voice of God that promises protection for you, his people, that same voice promises destruction for you if you are an enemy of God. And so I challenge you this morning, if you sit here and you do not know Christ, I beg of you to plead on the name of Christ as your Savior because He alone gives this water. You may look for it in lots of other streams. There are lots of other places you may run to to try to find life. But it is only in Christ that there is true life, that there is true gladness, that there is true hope, that there is any promise of an eternity spent in happy, holy living with God Almighty. Christ has done that. What did we sing this morning? A mighty fortress is our God. And you go down to verse 2. Lord Sabaoth his name. From age to age the same. That's taken out of verse 7. The Lord of hosts. Lord Sabaoth. Sabaoth is just the word for hosts. He is the God of angel armies, of an angel host. You think about Luke chapter 2, this host of angels. What do they do? They burst onto the scene. Christ is coming. Christ is coming and glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth to whom his favor rests. And they were sore afraid. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God who leads those terrifying armies that even when they sing and when they come on the scene, the shepherds can do nothing but just bow down in fear and terror. But he is the God of those armies. He is the captain of this innumerable company of angels for you, to guard you, his people. Those angels are watching you and protecting you at the command of the king and captain. So if you believe in Jesus today, remember that he who keeps Israel, he who keeps his church will not slumber. He will not sleep, Psalm 121. If you believe in Jesus today, you are God's child. He will guard, he will protect you. Does that mean that you will not feel the effects of sin? that you will not feel the effects of the world pressing in. No. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. So like Lucy, take heart and look up. Help us. If ever you loved us, help us. Because he is your refuge. He is in your midst. But he is also at work. He is also the one calling you 
to be still and to know that he is God. Verse 8, I love this. It's interesting, when you get to verse 8, you've had all this description of what God does and who he is, and then you get verse 8, come, behold the works of the Lord. It's the first time you get two imperatives back to back in the text. And I think if I'm remembering right, it's the first time you get any imperative in the text. And he's telling you doubly, come, behold, he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. His enemies will be destroyed. And the last one to be destroyed is death. The devil is in chains and he is no longer holding sway over you. Come, behold what he does. Therefore, you are enabled to do the second set of imperatives. Come, behold, be still, and know that I am God. I will be exalted. I will be exalted. Why? The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Again, Exodus 14, I was struck by this imagery of the Israelites at the Red Sea. Moses says there, I want to just quote from you, Fear not, he says. Do not be afraid. Stand firm. See the salvation of the Lord that he will work for you today, dear church. For the Egyptians, the world whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent, to be still. That word, Be still. In Hebrew, it's just stop. Cease. Stop your striving. You're working working at all these things that you think are going to solve your problems. And sometimes, you need to stop. Yes, we need to work as God works. We've talked about that. The psalmist has talked about that. That's the assumption of this part of the text. But there is a point at which we need to stop. And be still and know that he is God, that he is exalted, that he is with us. As we come to know this God, as we come to, to see him and his holiness and his, in his majesty, in his, even in the terror of his anger against sin because he cannot stand the sight of it. And so often we tolerate the sin in our lives. So often we act as if God can simply compromise. But as we behold God, as we read his word, as we are steeped in the realities of who he is and what he does, we are reminded that we can be still because he is at work. We can be still because he is exalted because he is on his throne because christ has ascended to heaven and because he is ruling and reigning now and because his word is going forth to every nation his word is going forth into the earth verse 10 therefore we can be still therefore we go into the world with confidence not on our own merits not on our own striving not saying well i have to pray the right prayer and i have to say the right words and i have to do the right thing those things come, but they come as a result, not as a, a, a precursor to the work. 
They come because we love God, therefore we respond. They come because we have been loved much, therefore we love much. They come as a result of what God has done for us, and we say, how can I ever repay you? I will go. God is my captain. God is the one who goes before me. He is the one calling nations to himself. So our anxieties, our fears, they are stilled. As we dig into God's word, as we pray, as we cry out to him, as we come to church and we are reminded week in and week out, day in and day out, sometimes minute by minute, that God is on his throne. In difficulties, do you rely on your king, your captain, or do you rely on yourself? I find myself so tempted, so tempted when, when troubles come, when, when all these, these sins enter my mind, what do I do? I work at getting them out. And if that doesn't work, then I pray. Then I'll read. No, the first resort needs to be the minute I feel those sins pressing in, I cry out to God, Lord, deliver me from this body of death. Deliver me from the realities of sin around me. Deliver me, though the mountains are trembling, though the nations are raging, though the the bows and the spears and the chariots are coming, because he will break them. He who promised is faithful, and he will surely do it. I don't know when, and I will not promise you that he will do it tomorrow. But you are called, brothers and sisters, to wait on the Lord, to be still and know that he's God. Think of Jacob. The last thing I'll say here is simply look at verse 11 if we get to the end of our text. Lord Sabaoth is with us. Again, this is a repetition of verse 7. But I was struck by even, not only is he the God of angel armies, but he is also the God of Jacob. And any time the name of God, this is a good thing as you're reading your Bible, something I have to remind myself. Any time you have a name of God, ask yourself, why is that name used? We've looked at Lord Sabaoth, Lord of hosts. Why is God of Jacob? Is it just a reference to Jacob? Well, I don't think so. <laughs> I think you have two things going on here. Calvin points out the God of Jacob could simply be a reference to the covenant Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, kind of summed up in the name Jacob. And I think there's merit to that, absolutely. But you think of the person Jacob in particular. We were going through Genesis what is that, two years ago now? And you're struck as you read the story of Jacob. Here is a man who needed to be still and know that God is God. Jacob, who at birth is grabbing his brother's heel, steals the birthright, lied to his father Isaac, multiplies sheep. He's, remember, he's got these sticks of wood and he's trying to get all the sheep to eat to eat off them, and he thinks, oh, they're multiplying. Well, I'll put more of these little strips of wood, and I'll, I'll strip it off, and that's what's doing it. It was my ingenuity. You see, I came up with that. I multiplied my sheep. I took the birthright. And he gets to this place in Genesis 32, and what does he do there at Peniel? He wrestles with God. And he's winning. I've done it. And what does God do? touches his hip, and Jacob walks off limping, and his name is changed, and his life is changed because he has come face to face 
with the one who has given him everything he ever had. From the birthright that he stole, God gave it. From the sheep that were multiplied, God multiplied them. Even the wrestling, God gave it to him. God touched his hip and he said, Now remember, from this day forward, that I am the one who sustains you. I am the one who gives and takes away. Bless my name. And we say, I will be still like Jacob. He walked off with that limp, and it's an interesting comment in the text. It says, the people of Israel did not eat the sinew of the hip (laughs) because they feared God. They knew what he could do. They knew that he touched Jacob, and all he had to do was that, and Jacob walked off with a limp. God may very well touch your hip like that to enable you to trust him as he did to Jacob. And maybe your hip has been touched in more ways than I can possibly know in my young 32 years. But that is often how we are brought to a knowledge of God is seeing his marvelous works, even seeing the ways that we are weak and we are made totally dependent on him. So trust, dear brothers and sisters, in this God of angel armies, this God of your father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who can take a person like Jacob and make him the father of nations after whom the nation of Israel was named. We will see him one day in heaven. Let's pray together. Oh, Father God, we rejoice that you use us, that you, even in the midst of our trouble, that when it comes, You, O Father, are working in us and through us. You use our weaknesses that you might be shown to be strong. Father, forgive us where we have relied on ourselves, where we have trusted in our own cunning, our own wisdom, or where we have been anxious and we have not trusted in you to provide. We have not trusted that if you clothe even the grass or even the lilies of the field in such beauty that you will not clothe us. You've not trusted that you who watches over a sparrow will also watch over us, that you who number the hairs on our head will watch over us. Help us, O Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. We cry out in the name of Christ who is more than sufficient for these things. Amen.